He has spoken on the topics faith, family and freedom in Cuba, Belgium, Brazil, Congo, UK and all over the USA to crowds from 14 to 40,000. Please help me welcome J. Lauren Norris. I have my hands on a book. It's an old book. It's called The Aristocrat at the Breakfast Table, it's written in 1955. And I'm going to share a little bit from that book with you today. But there's something really fascinating about the book that tells us a lot about culture, that tells us a lot about, well, where we are today, because the book is 70 years old now. And there's something in this concept of storytellers that I really think you need to get your hands around. Now, there are a lot of people like myself who make a business out of training communicators. And there's an absolute need for about 10 million more of us, whether you know that or not. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast, and I, I don't want to underestimate, nor do I want to overestimate, the value of good communicators. But I also want you to know that the old phrase that the pen is mightier than the sword, it's becoming more true every day, not less true. We might think in the days of high technology with TikTok and Twitter and Facebook that communication is so diluted that it wouldn't matter if you had something profound to say or not. If, if a thought ran through your head that was genuinely original, think of that. How bizarre would that be? I mean, we believe that everything under the sun has already happened and there's nothing new under the sun. And so why bother, right? There have been some people in the past who've talked about the value of thinking, thinking outside the box, thinking as a practice, as a habit. John Maxwell's written about it. Many others have written about it. In fact, one of my favorite quotes is, thinking is hard work. That's why so very few people do it. I also know that there are people who talk about that laziness versus invention. And they say things like, uh, you know, attitude is so important that most people are still trying to get up and get going when hard work has already made its way around the block twice. Those notions are not flippant. It's easy to think that they are. It's easy to think that, well, it doesn't really mean anything to me. It has nothing to do with my job. It has nothing to do with my career. It has nothing to do with my household. It has nothing to do with my education. I'm not in a job where storytelling means anything to me. Let me, uh, let me challenge your thought on that. See, here's what I know to be true. If history belongs to the victor, it's only so in so much as the ability to tell the story belongs to the one who holds the microphone. The one who lives to tell the story gets to write the story. Now, because that's been true from the dawn of time, we can go back as far as what we would call the prehistoric age, before the ability to write things down in words and look at 
the walls of the caves where the drawings depict everyday life. And what we find in those drawings are that they weren't drawn by dead people. Dead people don't tell stories. No, it's the survivors. It's the ones who live. Maybe that's where the survival of the fittest comes in. Here's something else we know. There are those who want to control the future. Your future and my future. And one of the ways that they project to control that future is by rewriting the past. Oh, they want to tell you what did happen, what they thought happened, what should have happened, what they even wanted to happen. But if it's not true, it's a manipulative way of getting their way. So why do leaders need to lead the narrative? Well, because good leaders have a narrative deep down inside them, driven by their own motives, by their own intuitions, by their own innovations, driven by their own Commitment to thinking. It's way outside the box. It's way outside the norm. And if they're good leaders, it's also way outside of their own self-interest. Yeah. They have an idea set. A worldview. A particular way of looking at things and people and events and circumstances and saying... How could we make this better, not just for me and my pocketbook, for me and my family legacy, for me and and my ilk, if you will, but for everyone? How do we create opportunity for more people? How do we drive a future that includes more people? How do we create a society that's fair for more people? And good leaders have the stories to tell about that. Unfortunately, part of the game of the narrative has to do with those who would manipulate how the narrative is told. Maybe you've been silenced on a form of social media because you're not following the narrative that they want. I can tell you, it's only been about eight years since I started doing this podcast. Eight years. Eight years ago, when I started this podcast, at one point I was up to close to 10,000 followers on uh, views on YouTube videos and over a thousand people who had subscribed. And I mentioned something one day. This was long before anybody started talking about cancel culture. This was like in 2016, before election cycles and all that stuff started really playing into it. And I mentioned something on my podcast, probably read out of a book that was unapproved. And I woke up the next day, and all the videos that had shown 10,000, 2,500, 5,000 views suddenly had like four. I don't mean 4,000. I mean four single digits. And the thousands of subscribers that I had, the monetized account that I had, I now had 103. And in eight years, that's grown back to almost 150. (whistles) Big influence. At one point, my videos were being boosted globally through uh, Facebook Meta and were on average seeing half a million views a month. Half a million a month. Now I can try to post that same video 
to the same audience that it was sent to and I get a little warning that my videos contain too much uh, social influence. I'm not an influencer by any stretch of the imagination, but my content contains too much social influence. Are you sticking with me much? See, here's the reality. If what you have to say causes people to back up for a minute to, to think for a moment about what really is going on around you, to have a conversation with people that might change the way they think, then what you cause them to think, what you challenge them to think about, it's got to be approved. And for now, the main distribution of all of this is through this format we know as social media, digital media, technologies. And so much as those who have differing ideas and opinions than I do control that gateway of communication, well, they will have the right to silence me, to shut me up, to cause me to stop talking in the realms that they have control of. I have access to realms they don't have control of. And I'm glad for that. But the day is coming when those realms of influence, those circles of influence, those spheres where you communicate the ideas that you hold dear. The day is coming that those circles will get tighter and tighter and tighter and the people who control those will be fewer and fewer and fewer. And the people who decide what you hear and what you think and what you believe to be true. I shared a, a video on my social media this morning uh, from a guy who's got a very big mouth. Apparently he's got a lot of money. He was very good at boxing or kickboxing and made a lot of money and now he has a very big mouth and, and some, I think, some unique ideas. I don't agree with all of them. I, I certainly don't agree with the way he communicates all of his ideas. Um, we just have a different choice of language, but I, some of his ideas are solid. One of the ones he shared this morning, and, and I or he shared it whenever I shared it again on my social media this morning, that if enough people say that two plus two is five, that eventually it will become true. Let me add one word, two words in there. Accepted as true. It will not become true. It will become accepted as true. Those two words make all the difference in the world. As leaders who have the benefit of others in mind, not just themselves, we've got to not only know the difference, but speak the difference. Two plus two equals five doesn't matter if one person, one million or eight billion people believe that to be true. It's not. Gravity doesn't care about your opinion. Gravity doesn't care about your education or your income or your number of followers. If you are a person of influence, your job shouldn't be amassing followers. It should be changing minds and changing the way people think. So why do I say that it's imperative that leaders lead the narrative? Let me give you an example. This is out of my little, my little book here from 1955. Um, this is by, well, let me, let me just read this little paragraph. It's a paragraph and a half here. A lyric conception, my friend, the poet said, hits me like a bullet in the forehead. I have often had the blood drop from my cheeks when it struck and felt like I turned as white as death. Then comes a creeping as of centipedes running down the spine, the gasp and a great jump of the heart, and then sudden flush and beating of the vessels in my head, and then a long sigh. At last, the poem is written. 
It's an impromptu, I suppose, then, if you write it so suddenly, I replied. No, he said. Far from it. I said written, but I did not say copied. Every such poem has a soul and a body. It is the body of it, or the copy, that men read and publishers pay for. The soul of it is born. In an instant in the poet's soul, it comes to him a thought, tangled in the meshes of a few sweet words. Words that have loved each other from the cradle of the language, but have never been wedded until now. Whether it is will ever be fully embodied itself in a bridal train of a dozen stanzas or not is uncertain, but it exists potentially from the instant that the poet turns pale with it. Now, that's not the end of that passage, but it's a very important passage. You see, this book is dedicated in the very beginning. It says, Every man his own Boswell. Now, Boswell was a reference to a gentleman, but Boswell was a guy who served Oliver Wendell Holmes and others in nature. Not, not that person, but of the nature. See, Oliver Wendell Holmes, if you don't know that name, who is actually a Supreme Court justice, a guy whose some of his worldviews I absolutely would not agree with. But he made a very powerful observation because all Supreme Court justices, they have clerks. They have people who work for them whose job it is to study very narrow topics of information. Well, back in the day, the aristocrats, the, the, the wealthy, the super wealthy, they didn't have to know everything because they paid someone to know everything. In fact, there's a very interesting little exchange in this book where Someone at his breakfast table is challenging Mr. Holmes to a concept. And as they're arguing about it, he says, hold on, let me ask Boswell. And in that conversation, Boswell comes in and he is an expert on that given topic. Now, every cabinet, every CEO, every executive leader, every commanding general has a team of people around them whose job it is to know what that one leader cannot know. That information that's hard to gather, that's sparse to find, that takes not only research, but also a compilation, the ability to put it all together and to make it make sense. For Oliver Wendell Holmes, the man in his house who did that was a man of color named Boswell. Boswell was the man who never left Mr. Holmes, Dr. Holmes, without an answer. And often it was the braggadocia of the aristocrat to say, my Boswell, my houseman of intellect, is smarter than yours. Often they would have arguments for the purpose of bringing their second-in-command, if you will, their, their knowledge-based individual into the argument. But see, at the same time that that was true back in a day, way back in a day, 100 years ago or so, in the U.S., it wasn't... Uh, wasn't lawful for certain people to have that kind of education. It wasn't lawful unless you held that position for you to know some of the things that they were expected to know. Now, you may not know this. Do your homework. Check me out. Make sure I'm not lying to you. But there are places in this world today, in 2022, where it is unlawful for certain people, race, gender, ethnic, background, 
nationality, dialect, religious belief, it's unlawful for them to be educated. Think I'm kidding, look up the word Boko Haram and figure out what it means. It might surprise you. But for those who are educated, for those who are in the know, for those who bother to read old books, who bother to understand what's going on in society, you'll find that leaders of all calibers, they're readers. They study. They get to know. They also surround themselves with people who are readers, who study, who get to know. And the narratives that are being shoved down our throat by the control of the language, by the control of what you're allowed to say or not to say, the names that you can't repeat in certain social media circles or in front of a news camera, those names shall not be spoken here. That kind of control doesn't like people who take time to get to know. Look back through history. Ask yourself, why in the past have there been book burnings? Who does it? Why did they do it? What do they burn? What are they trying to keep you from? Leaders need to lead the narrative because the narrative that's led by anyone is led for a purpose. People don't lead narratives because they're bored. They lead narratives because they must. They lead narratives to drive an agenda. They lead narratives to collect stories. And those leaders who lead narratives must be articulate storytellers. You've got to be able to find the stories that matter, to collect the stories that matter, to deliver the stories that matter. Sometimes that means understanding things that you disagree with, to be able to tell the truth, even when it's uncomfortable. Or as this poet expressed, the ability to allow that burden inside you to come forth even when it makes you miserable in the birthing. The message is important. Every Man is Boswell is a reference to the idea that you don't have to be surrounded by other people who hold the knowledge that you don't. You don't have to pay someone else to do your homework, to study for you, to be learned in your place. My challenge to you is to do your own homework but also to become a better storyteller. And I don't just mean storytellers for the sake of an elevator pitch. Well, it works for that. I don't mean storytellers for the sake of your branding message. Well, it works for that. Or your sales pitch. While it works for that. I'm talking about people who understand the meta narrative, the local narrative, and their own narrative enough to know what stories I need to tell because they're important about the direction of my family my life, my company, my country, and the world. And if you haven't dug into the stories that you tell and repeat, that you hear and believe, deep enough to know which ones are true and which ones are too many people agreeing that two plus two equals five, if you haven't dug into those far enough, it's going to be hard for you to be a worthwhile and accurate storyteller, which will make it very hard for you to be a worthwhile and accurate leader. I have an opinion. And I have a meta-narrative of my own. And if you're in my inner circle, you know what that is. And if you're not, and you want to know, come closer, I'll tell you. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast for Tell It Like It Is TV. Have a blessed day.
Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom.